Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Annapolis. You know that young person who graduated college this past spring and is now getting ready to go get that big job? Well, here, guess what? Get over to Leon Tailoring and check out their career services division. They've got lots of good professional attire, reasonably priced for both your young men and young women who are getting off into that world of work. Hey, they graduated, they did all the interviews, now they got the big job coming up, so make sure they look the part. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. That's Leon Tailoring, 809 north delaware downtown indianapolis so yeah um we're done uh this is the fourth week of the session and kind of it's time to take a breath you know it's been a kind of a frustrating week for me and my colleagues here in the uh senate especially when it comes to legislation not only about marion county but also exclusionary uh legislation that uh, somehow we just don't have a right to make appointments to certain studies and committees. And then, you know, today, uh, I just, I'm still flabbergasted at the fact that we still have so many of our, my Republican colleagues that feel like we could give all these benefits to corporations and the people still get nothing. You know, we had amendments today on a childcare bill that would have directly given access to childcare to people who need childcare. But instead, my colleagues still believe that somehow that a for-profit corporation is going to provide childcare and somehow not make money on it. (laughs) That's what they're in the business of doing. So uh, still a little frustrated with that, but, you know, we'll keep pushing. We'll keep moving forward. Uh, There's, like I said, there's there's legislation that we still have that we still think that we can get passed and we'll see what's coming over from the House of Representatives. So do you think uh, the legislature is trying to maybe sort of micromanage Indianapolis, particularly with things like the Blue Line Economic Development District? Yes, I I think what happens, Abdul, is once they give it's kind of like once they give you permission to do something and you go do it. If one of their members doesn't like it, they all come back and band together and try to to kill what you did. You know, I've heard my colleagues on the other side of the aisle saying, hey, we gave the legislature, the legislature gave them the ability to do this. And we're just asking them to take a pause to study shared lanes versus dedicated lanes. Um, we don't need to study shared lanes versus dedicated lanes because that's what engineers do. That's what was done in order to determine what would be best suited for Washington Street. The bottom line is that my colleague, who has taken up this fight for over the last five years, doesn't even represent the district anymore. He does not. I I keep repeating this in people. He doesn't even have any constituents in that area. So who's talking to him? Who's telling him that there's an issue? Because my senators who represent the area have told me, that they have people who support the blue line. So he's going to stop it, knowing that in 2025 we're going to have a new president or could have a new president. And once that happens, then, you know, the $14.5 million worth of taxpayer dollars that we've spent already on engineering is gone. The over $250 million in infrastructure improvements that we'll get on Washington Street, that's gone. I mean, yeah, they're micromanaging the city that I represent because – they don't they give us marching orders we run the ball we score a touchdown and they come over here and they move the goalposts yet again it happens every year 
And uh, I think some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle are getting tired of it just as much as we are. The House killed um, the FSSA agency bill on second reading after a bunch of amendments were filed dealing with the family caregiver issue and, and the $984 million shortfall at, at Medicaid. Um, both Speaker Houston and Senator Bray say on the family caregiver issue that no legislation is required there, that they're talking with FSSA and they're trusting FSSA to make the right decision. Do you think they're dumping this unpopular issue in the lap of Eric Holcomb? I don't know if they're doing it on purpose. I, I can't tell you what their intent is because I don't, I don't sit in those meetings. But I can tell you this. It wasn't those family caregivers that made the mistake that underfunded our Medicaid need for the next two years. It was somebody who was an actuary who didn't have the right numbers or didn't do some kind of projection correctly. So for us at FSSA or to allow FSSA to make changes administratively that we know will harm Hoosiers is probably not a good move. Now, I'll be honest with you. It, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people, a lot, just a lot of legislators, including uh, the president of the Senate, the lieutenant governor, who's not happy with the fact that we're trying to make some moves to uh, change to, to change how people have been caring for their families for years because we made a mistake. That just doesn't seem right and doesn't seem fair, especially when we have a surplus and a rainy day fund. I, I keep wondering when it's going to rain because we haven't used it. I don't know if it's been raining in Indiana or not, but we haven't used that rainy day fund either. Speaking, speaking of Medicaid, yeah. uh, the billion-dollar error, should heads roll and that for that mistake? No, I, I don't know where the heads because I don't know who the head whose head made the mistake. I, listen, there are going to be mistakes made. It's For us as public policymakers, it's not about what happened. It's how you react to it. And how we react, react to it is just as important as the mistake that was made. We just don't need to put it on the backs of Hoosiers. What is your response to the position that the attendant care piece that is getting so much controversy, that's something that was allowed during the pandemic and because of the pandemic, and now this is being kind of clawed back because currently Indiana's waiver for that would be out of compliance and they need to make the change eventually to keep getting the federal money through that. So I didn't know if you can maybe respond to that. I haven't, I haven't seen anything that says we can't continue that program. Actually, I haven't seen anything that says we can't afford to continue that program. The, the whole thing started with the billion-dollar hiccup. Do you think we would have – the question I have, to, dude, I have to ask myself as a public policymaker, do you think this would have even come up had we not had the billion-dollar glitch? And then we tried to, you know, backfill the hole, right, with some Medicaid reserves. But if you think about what we've done to Medicaid and as far as the uh, uh, reversions back to the, to the general fund, you know how much money we would have had in the Medicaid reserve account? $1.3 billion. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? But see, we used it as a slush fund. And we've said that over the last few years when we've done our budget. And now it's come back to bite us. Can you respond to the um, concerns that Senator Glick raised about the chaplain bill <laughs> and the fact that the, the spending might be unconstitutional? I think she's got an interesting argument. I hadn't heard that argument um, until she had it in front of us. But I think it is going to become interesting when public schools start paying for, uh, you know, chaplains to give advice to children. Let me I, I didn't get up and say anything. I know that's hard for you guys to believe, but uh, <laughs> because I, it's a sensitive issue. We are actually opening the door 
for a school district to go hire a chaplain to have counseling with our children. Did you guys, I don't know what, I didn't see any background checks required. Or maybe there is. I saw some training. They have to be, they have to have a license uh, to be a pastor. My, the, the master's degree. Master's and, degree. Yeah. You know, you can get those in, when you're in jail and in prison. That's how a lot of them got out on it. I'm, I'm being dead serious on that. You can get that divinity degree in prison. Um, and now they're going to be able to guide our children. They're guidance counselors now. Um, do they know anything about academic standards? Do they know anything about what you want to achieve before you get out? I mean, they're, they're considered counselors, guidance counselors. I, I just think that, you know, we're going to regret it. And, you know, maybe we don't hear about it for another 15 years, but I'm, I'm telling you, that's a scary thing to have uh, secular education in our schools. And we know it's secular. I mean, they're chaplains. Uh, uh, just wait till the Satanists show up. <laughs> Or the the first church of cannabis for, people. No, no, the the Muslim. I mean, there's is there a divinity degree for Muslim religion? I don't know. I, I mean, what are we going to do? And I don't. You can't discriminate based on the religious type. So it makes it very simple to say you have to open it up to everybody. And I'm not saying one is better than the other because that's that's not even. But to open up our public schools for it, I just think is a very very. You're taking a big chance. So, all right, y'all have a good weekend, man. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.